0: You're listening to The Emulsion Podcast, a show that informs and inspires the restaurant industry to work, live, and create better. My name's Justin Kana, and I'm a chef and media producer with almost 10 years of experience in award-winning restaurants all over the world. I created this show as a way to give back, to inspire the next generation, and to help you progress your career. The Emulsion Podcast is sponsored by you folks, and Patreon is where that happens. If you're here as a return listener and you enjoyed the episode you just came from and happen to want to support more episodes, I'd really appreciate it. Go ahead and check out patreon.com slash Justin Thanks in advance if you can. I totally understand if you can't. Free ways you can support this show include leaving a like or comment on this video, filling up all five stars on iTunes, or simply sharing an episode with a friend. This is an interview show. If you missed out on asking your burning question to today's guest, don't let that happen again. There is a really handy-dandy form where you can see upcoming guests and ask them your questions. Be sure to check out justincana.com slash podcast. I'd encourage you to see who I've got coming up.
1: Or Not misconception, a common mistake I see sharpeners do, and this drives me absolutely nuts. Uh, And that's another reason why I like having my own shop is because I have like uh, all these different tools to be able to do All these different things now is they'll use the same Method for every single knife and every knife is not the same
0: Today's guest is Albert Edmonds, CEO chief sharpener and owner of Seattle edge right here in the Ballard neighborhood of Seattle He spent a lot of time in the hospitality industry and is coming up on two years in his small retail shop where he offers done by hand sharpening services on a myriad of different blades. In this episode, we talk about some common misconceptions even professional chefs make with knife sharpening, owning a business and being an entrepreneur, hotel job horror stories, upcoming knives he's going to be carrying in the shop, and more. I'm very excited to share this episode with you, but a couple of updates since I've recorded this, Dasvi, my friend, who's the artist, Albert, who's the guest for this episode, and myself are going to be collaborating and start carrying custom painted knife saya's in the Seattle Edge Knife Shop. Go ahead and hit me up in the comments down below and I'll be sure to send you a discount code for that because it's coming up very soon. Dasvi has the first round done and he's gonna be premiering them this weekend. Uh, but I will 100% be releasing a more detailed video about that once it becomes a thing. But I did promise Albert I'd offer you folks first dibs because I'm really passionate about custom tools and getting those into your knife bag first. Second, we talk in this episode about a couple of times in his, uh, about his open house, where Albert says in this podcast is coming up in May, but since we recorded this, he has actually rescheduled that open house. So this part, this is that's part of me releasing this episode when I am releasing it. So today is June 1st. The open house is actually coming up on June 3rd. So this Sunday coming up in Seattle, I will be there if any of you folks are interested in stopping by and meeting Albert and showing some love to Seattle Edge. I'll also be there doing a little bit of video work, but it's 100% also an opportunity for you to stop by and say hi. If you see me running around, I would love to meet you in real life. If it looks like I'm busy, uh, obviously be polite but i would love to for you to you know stop by and say hello it's at noon on june 3rd he definitely shares some more details about what's going to be happening at this open house later in the episode spoiler alert there's a couple of knife giveaways but i thought i'd correct that point before you get misinformed in this episode because we do talk about being in may but enough blabbering let's in, let's get into my conversation with albert Edmonds. i always like to start with a i call it a quote unquote state of the union and it's usually about chefs and and media But I would like to know from your perspective from a knife maker world, because American knife making is at a place that it's never been before. And where are your thoughts? Like, what are you excited about? What are you not excited about? What are you kind of like, Uh where's your head at in 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 summer of 2018?
1: Summer of 2018, I definitely agree with you. Uh, Cutlery, the cutlery industry in general is exploding. Um, I think people are having more of an appreciation for handmade products nowadays. I think the real birth and blossoming of foodie culture has also played a role in that and people are starting to wake up and have a little bit more clarity of what chefs actually go through, (laughs) (laughs) which is really hard work and a lot of skill. And I think that went unrecognized for many years or very, by a very small group of people. So now people are starting to appreciate that more. So demand for quality cutlery is increasing. Um, so I think it's great. I've never seen so many high quality pieces coming up. Uh, social media has really helped get the word out. Uh, Instagram, like the knife community, Instagram, it's like I mean, dizzying. You don't,
0: you don't need a shop anymore. No,
1: like you, you don't.
0: Literally, like there's
1: makers that I'm interacting with who are
0: like, they don't have a shop. It's like, come, come to my site. I'll ship direct to your mm-hmm. place. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah, it's got to be fascinating to see it. Oh, it is. like that way. Like, uh, how much of your business ends up going through Instagram?
1: Well, through Instagram, um, I would say Facebook has actually been more, uh, more influential than Instagram, but I have not been promoting on Instagram for nearly as long. So yeah. now that we have started promoting more on Instagram, I'm getting a lot more private messages. Right. Uh, you know, when it's, it has been really good for networking. Uh, so Instagram is definitely starting to grow more. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, Instagram is a very, very powerful tool. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've talked to knife maker friends of mine uh, and Instagram for as far as retail sales and spreading the word about custom knives it, it is absolutely invaluable, perhaps mm. the most influential social media source for spreading their business.
0: They've made it insanely easy for... Because it's like, I'll I'll like a page that makes a certain style of knives. And then like three days later in my discover feature, it'll show me two or three other pages that are making exactly the same style of knives. Uh So it's like, if you're a heavy Damascus style knife, or if you're like a butchery focused company, Uh I just think it's insane. Like, I came up and it was never... It was never even an option. There was like a couple of like janky forums <laughs> online where you could like go and check out knives and like people saying this or saying that. But it's now you can interact with the person who literally made the knife, uh-huh. and that's insane to me. Uh-huh. Um, what are your thoughts on the the guys who are taking the like old saw blades from the nineteen fifties and turning them into knives? Because that was never something that I I was always Japanese was like the the, the, the pinnacle, right? Yeah where do they stand? And this is partially a selfish question because I don't have a good answer to <laughs> give people when they ask me these American makers are making these amazing knives, but there's like, I was also told the Japanese is the best. What, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, um, it's, it's good old carbon blade steel, mm. you know? Uh, so while it may not be the most romantic or highly romantic depending on your viewpoint, uh, you know, they're, they can be Decent blades. The main thing that it really comes down to is the execution of the whole thing. Is is the person doing a good job with that blade geometry? I mean, because the beauty of carbon steel is that it gets super sharp and mm-hmm. usually touches up pretty quick unless it's you know, 64 Rockwell, then it's not going to touch up real sure, quick. But, sure. you you know, you're not getting that crazy, like, aogami hardness with, with uh, an old saw blade. Mm-hmm. So that's a nice part is it sharpens quickly. It's easy to touch up. They can generally deal with pretty heavy use. But the main thing is on the execution. So um, I would say the main things with those... Older alloys as well, is that corrosion can be a real problem. Mm-hmm. So um, they can be pretty cool, but then again, they can also be total clunkers that look like they were just like hammered out of the hood of an old Ford. Totally, you know. Like... Totally.
0: <laughs> is the reason that people go for that is like the romantic nature that it has, like a story? Because, or is it strictly based? I mean, I would assume that the cost of getting a big hunk mm-hmm. chunk of carbon is way cheaper than buying in a sheet of steel and melting it or forging it yourself in a way that makes your own knife. What do you think attracts people to it?
1: Well, um, I would say it's probably the character Mm -hmm. that it has. That's Mm -hmm. the main thing. It's kind of cool to be like, oh yeah, this used to be a saw blade that was used to cut down redwoods that were the size of my house and you know, California, blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Um uh, so I think part of that just that unique flavor mm. uh is a big part of it uh, the economics like you mentioned that's going to be yep. way cheaper than to get a gigantic sheet of AEBL mm-hmm. you know uh which is astronomically expensive sure. uh and that can be pretty easy to acquire depending on where you are mm. harder to acquire in Brooklyn easier to acquire when you're way out in the sticks understood, <laughs> understood.
0: <laughs> But as far as the quality of the finished blade goes, that's completely, de- that's what. M- that's why the knife maker is so important. It's yes. very similar to like, uh, I mean, I would probably equate it to like wine, right? Like you can have amazing grapes out in the field, Yeah. but how the wine gets made, it can make or break the actual finished product. Am Absolutely. I correct in saying that? Yeah, okay. yeah, exactly.
1: Okay. And that also comes down to the, the, you know, quality of the saw to begin sure. with. I mean, you're, you're limited. Because with- you don't know. Exactly. Okay. So there's the the QC. I mean, generally back in the day, they made things really well because uh, you couldn't cut corners. There was no outsourcing. Everything mm-hmm. was basically made here. Uh, but you don't entirely know what you're getting. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a toss-up. I mean, it's not going to be bad. It's not going to be like you know making a knife out of a spoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But okay, the consistency may not be.
0: Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh. Is there anything that I left out in the kind of your your thoughts on the state of everything? Did you um, Is there anything that you're kind of obsessed with right now that you're <laughs> super excited about?
1: Well, what I'm really excited about is to just see how things are growing. Uh, the knife um, the knife industry and community, uh, in my opinion, has been. Kind of stagnant for a really long time and you would hear the same names over and over and over again so now you're starting because you're getting more people entering into the industry specifically younger people entering in you're starting to see more diversity with grime, or uh yeah excuse me with designs sure. and things like that um handle styles bolsters things like that so it's It's interesting to be able to see people really put their own spin on things. So you get everything from someone that makes the most traditional of Japanese style knives uh, to someone that comes out with much more flowing type of designs. Um, But you're generally seeing, uh, you know, mostly I find really thin blades uh, and really hard blade steel or the primary like that's like the flavor right now. And I'm totally down with that However, the combination of the two back to execution You got to be careful with that. And, I mean, I've seen knives that are so thin. I'm actually like just my mind is like blown I'm like, How is that not a straight razor? That's insane. But then edge damage. I have seen edge damage that is Absolutely ridiculous. I can only imagine. Because you're limited but what the knife is actually capable of. Uh-huh. Steel can only yield so much before...
0: But the, mar- yeah. but the marketing behind saying my steel is stronger and my edge is thinner is probably like what everybody kind of looks for.
1: Yeah, and while it has its place, it's really cool when you're cutting up shallots, there's only so much that knife can do. Sure, sure. So, uh, you know, balance with all things. Uh-huh.
0: You know. I noticed that the knives that you carry are very consumer centric. You try to you try to have a good selection, you try to have a bunch of different shapes. Do you have a preference when you uh, when you're cutting? What's your favorite style or, or or ratio of thickness to thinness to hardness to softness? Uh, what's your what's your yes. ideal? If you had to build your own perfect
1: Yeah, that's that's actually something I think about quite regularly. <laughs> <laughs> One day I've made knives before, but now I, we, we just don't have the time. I'm so busy in the shop and with other things. But um, I tend to lean towards Japanese cutlery. I do have um, I do have two Western-style knives, and they're great for when you need to do really, really hard stuff. Yep. But I typically lean towards Japanese style because they typically um, use alloys that take a finer edge in my opinion those carbon steel sabatiers can get Mm. and take a very very fine edge so that i would say that's finer than most of the european stainless that's out there um but yeah typically more of the japanese um as far as like width goes Going uh, less than two millimeters at the spine, uh, A, if you're going to be cutting for a, for a while, that can actually be pretty uncomfortable. Totally. So there's got to be a lot of room in the choil for your finger um, because if you're doing a pinch grip and you're up at that two millimeter, <laughs> then taper down to like air, it's like someone's like pressing a yeah, knife yeah. into your finger. All right. So, um, yeah, yeah. I like Ruben the Choil. Mm, uh, two millimeter-ish. I am a sucker for carbon steel. Yeah. I definitely like carbon steel, but, uh, you know, some quality stainless is nice to have, too. Uh, I do like the Swedish stainless mm-hmm. uh, steel. So fine. Almost, like, too fine sometimes. Sure, crazy. sure. Yeah. What
0: about shape? Do you like the Gyoto, Nikiri?
1: Yeah, I'm more of a Gyoto guy. Okay. Um, the Nikiri is very fun. Mm-hmm. I like... The Nakiri's. I like, two of the worst cuts I've ever had in the kitchen have been with Nakiri's. Cause they, like a well-balanced Nikiri, it's like a metronome. You know, It just bop, 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 yep. bop. And that yep. like, I, I would go too fast oh, no. and just cut the crap out of my pinky. I haven't That's done that in so a long time. I, uh... But uh, yeah, the, the curries are really, really fun, but the first thing that I reach for in the kitchen is going to be a, a, usually a 210 or mm-hmm. a 240 Giotto, just right off the bat. Got it, got it. Mm-hmm.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about where we are right now and a little bit about Seattle Edge and a little bit about um, the evolution of it? I mean, you're coming up on, is this your second year in, in the, uh, in for the standalone shop?
1: Yeah, this this exact shop uh, I actually opened in when did I open it uh, September of 2015. yep got it so uh, but I started uh, Seattle Edge in 2009 as a part-time business right. just because I, I got into sharpening uh, actually right after high school uh, and I just totally fell in love with it and I worked for a knife store for a couple of years and I left and I came back. Uh, so I just started Seattle Edge because I missed sharpening. And then in 2011, May of 2011, that's when I actually opened the shop. And that was my first shop. And then it was like a, a shop shop. Well, I mean, most sure. people have not been in that environment. Yeah, yeah. So it was a real shock to a lot of customers, actually. Mm-hmm. So I was there uh, from May of 2011 to August of 2015. And then we took a month for us to basically build this up and do the remodel. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, so I've been here ever since. So it started, you were going to say something?
0: Well, I was going to ask what, hap- what can uh, set the scene for everybody, what happens in this shop and what, because it's kind of part retail, part yeah. service, part, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah,
1: well, I started out um, in, in 2009 when I just started. I was a mobile service, so mm. I would go... Wherever the work was, I had a little one by forty-two sander and you know hundred foot extension cord and a buffing wheel and just you know basic stuff. But I'd always wanted my own shop. I'd always wanted my own shop. Ever since having even a really basic shop in the knife store that I worked at, like I just wanted one myself, Mm. really, really bad. And Mm. it had just been, and especially when I decided that I wanted to go full time. I just I was like on the hunt Mm -hmm. and so it was it was great being able to have that because I find in a shop while yes it may be less convenient for my customers as a sharpener goes you're able to offer more services and Mm -hmm. do a greater variety of work um, than you can in a van I mean there's only so much you can do on a workbench totally with an extension cord so um, so that was a really big a really big thing uh and even though it was like you know like my first bench we made out of like two by eights and like <laughs> it was spartan right, right. <laughs> you know but i mean it worked it worked yeah, yeah. so um yeah i just started out we doing sharpening mostly mostly you know just about everything i do is is culinary mm-hmm. um And I was definitely pursuing mail order um, a lot at that time because my local customer base was very, very small. Sure. um, Because I was totally the new guy in the block with two Mm -hmm. competitors that were very close. So, um, yeah, that's when being online was huge. Totally. I mean, when I was not sharpening, I was on social media. Uh Uh-huh yeah and that was like a part of the job in itself really
0: back in those early days was it mostly chefs or you were getting home cooks who wanted their whole knife block sharpened or or what what were those early days like customer wise
1: uh the early days it was more um it was more home cooks i Mm -hmm. would say um and now um yeah and as slowly like word started to spread then i started getting more professional cooks i Mm -hmm. mean just being in Fremont, there's so many restaurants here that some people would be like, oh, well, you know, he's got a... <laughs> yep. He must be good. He's, yeah, yeah. he's at least here, so let's sure. give him a shot. Sure. So Proximity, which is, you know, one of the reasons why I set up shot at Fremont, mm-hmm. uh, is, you know, that was able to get me some, some customers as well. But yeah, mostly in the early days, it was home cooks.
0: When was... Was there a point when... You decided that it was time to go full time, whether it was like you hit a certain revenue amount, amount, or you were like you saw the opportunity for this space, and you're like I'm going to give it a try. Or was there? Do you remember like an inflection point where you're like I have to go full time with this?
1: Yeah, I was doing a lot of um, a lot of thinking back and forth. I was I worked in hospitality uh, for seven years, mm-hmm. so I worked in I've worked in hotels from like. Really, really nice four-star hotels, you know, with, like, movie stars and stuff staying in them, too. Like, ghetto hotels. Yeah. Like, people, like, <laughs> like, you know, like, spraying mace, you know, like, evacuating two floors to let the mace get out of the air yeah, ducts. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. everything. Dear I, I have so many stories. Yeah, yeah. It's ridiculous. So... um Yeah, that was the first hotel I worked at, the the ghetto one, and then you work your way up. But um, so I had really been seriously, seriously uh, considering hotels as a full-time career. I did have a path. I was good at it. Uh, Management liked me. They knew I was serious. But I'd started Seattle Edge as a part-time thing just Mm -hmm. for fun. And I started to see growth in Seattle Edge and the potential for it to grow and um, it was like the ultimate Hail Mary pass so like I, I made sure that I had a safety net still available and hospitality in case everything totally went to hell in a handbasket. basket <laughs> but um, thankfully things worked out first year was far from easy but you know any new business launching in first years is uh um a test. Yeah, yeah. So, I didn't know
0: that. That you had the kind of it was it was a side hustle to start, and then it per mm-hmm. it evolved in that way.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was good because that way I had um, you know a foothold in some yeah. of the basic areas, uh, which was nice. Mm-hmm. So it made it easier to open because uh, I at least had been around for a little bit. Yeah,
0: and you weren't uh, you wouldn't um, you wouldn't seek out short-term financial you know, uh, plays, whether it was no, no. cutting corners in any regard, because you're stressed in that, in that, in that sense. I just, yeah. there's, there's this whole thing with, I got a question the other day on another podcast episode about entrepreneurship. And it's like, you have to quit your job and just go for it. Uh-huh. But I mean, you're a testament to the fact that that's not true.
1: Well, yeah, in a, in a way, I mean, because I did quit my other sure. job and I threw myself into it a hundred percent. And there, there is, there is truth to that. And I have read articles about that, how people are actually more likely to be successful when they don't have a safety net. Uh-huh. Uh, and it makes perfect sense because you're like, well, crap, yeah. I have no choice. I have successful. to do this. Yeah. yeah. So for me, it was, you know, like I, uh, I, I, I decided I was really really gonna mm-hmm. do it you know mm-hmm. I was definitely determined to do it but um, uh, it has to be a very very conscious decision you know it's like it it's like you can't be like holding someone else's hand when you're trying to fly solo sure you sure. know that's like
0: you gotta cut the strings yeah you
1: gotta yeah, you yeah. gotta cut the cord and mm-hmm. totally go for it mm-hmm. and um, I was just lucky enough to be able to have um, that potential, you know, like fallback plan. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's the way it worked out. Totally. So.
0: And I, I want to acknowledge you for that. Cause I mean, that's like oh. insane. There's not a lot of people that Thanks. can have, to, there's not a lot of <laughs> knife shops in Seattle. And I mean, like you've, Three. yeah, Three? I mean, like you've made one that's successful that has like return customers, like so yeah. much so that, the gentleman that just walked out was one of your customers and was loyal enough to come work with you, you know? Yeah,
1: I didn't think of it that way. You know, like, <laughs> that's... Uh,
0: I mean, there's something to be said there, and there's something in my head that the gearhead in me wants to shop someday, too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like... Uh, so it's very it's very inspiring. It's very inspiring to see you, and I'm... Wow. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm proud to see you do it. Well, and thank I'm, you. I'm sad that I'm not going to be able to make it to your open house party. Oh man, that's I like wish. totally. Uh, totally something that i want oh, to
1: celebrate with you. Yeah. We're gonna have uh, fun.
0: When so you said you started sharpening high school age. Yeah. Can you take it back a little bit further? I find that a lot of people get what they're into from when they were like 13, 14. Totally. Were you into anything that was kind of like weird or (laughs) tool-related or like knife something Um, when you were at that age? Can you remember when you were like 13,
1: 14? For some reason, I don't know why, but like cutlery I'd always been fascinated with ever since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Like I just, I don't know what it was. Like I would just see a knife and be like just focused on it, like a magnet. And my dad was... um, A hunter and a fisherman and a woodworker. He Mm -hmm. built my crib, like, yeah. So like, he knew how to sharpen Uh like well. And the first time he showed me how to sharpen a knife, I think it was like eight, and it blew my mind. I was like, what is this magic? You know, like just the concept of being able to like get a chunk of metal and put it on something. And then suddenly be able to have it cut paper afterwards was like, it was like voodoo. I couldn't believe it. So I was like, I just thought it was the coolest thing ever. And yeah, I mean, I'm uh, 10 max, probably eight, I really Uh think. Uh Um, So yeah, that's really when the, the interest in sharpening specifically was, you know, begun. But then like, i mean you know we we lived in montana for a while so like you know everyone carried knives i so carry this mm-hmm. big ass hunting knife mm-hmm. well, a kid i don't know yeah. no point in me sure. carrying it but like you know it could so i was yep. super excited about it yeah. uh so yeah when i was 19 then i went to go work for the knife store just because i wanted to work around knives because i would always loved having knives and you know i had a small knife collection and stuff and then after pestering them to train me how to sharpen, they eventually What was, was What needed.
0: was that store like? Was it like a full kitchenware store? They had pots and pans and everything? Or it was uh, mostly cutlery. Interesting. Like 90% cutlery. They where had a was, lot of accessories. Where was this? Pike Place Market. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um,
1: yeah Seattle Cutlery. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, that was back in um, 2000.
0: What... Was there anything in your head that was like I'm gonna own a shop someday, or it was just pure joy of being around knives that it was, I was
1: enough? Just, yeah, yeah, I yeah. was just happy to be there, and you know the the people that I worked with were totally awesome. We were all really good friends sure. and everything. So I'd never thought about me like having my own shop. Mm. Um, I, I just enjoyed working there. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably didn't really think about having my own shop um until like probably right in the 2009 year when i decided when like it. yeah i really like i want to get back into this mm-hmm. i miss working and and then i i started working uh you know and while it's it's kind of cool being mobile every time i would set up you know it takes you 10 minutes you got to move. 60 pounds worth of gear, up and down stairs, yep. you know, which is awesome, to get me wrong. <laughs> Sharpening in someone's basement with terrible lighting? Yeah, Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, the whole time I'm thinking, like, crap, I really want my own shop. Totally. And then the stars aligned, and it was slowly yeah, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to word this question.
0: I didn't grow up in a very big foodie family. My uh-huh. mom didn't cook, my dad didn't, my grandma cooked a lot, but she passed, my Indian grandma, but she passed away when I, when I was 11. Uh-huh. And so I never had like, I don't have those, like the traditional chef story of like, yeah. strong food memories growing up and I uh-huh. stood on the stool next to my grandma. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have that, but I take that as a reason why I was able to dive into food the way that I did because it didn't turn into something where I was taking something that I loved and turning it into my job. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Did you ever have to find a balance between that? Whether it's like, I love this knife sharpening thing, but now I'm making it my work. Has that ever kind of crossed your mind, or it's like you're doing the thing that you love, so that's enough, you know what I mean?
1: Well, there's definitely a sacrifice because if I was working in upper management in hotels, I know I'd be making more money than yeah, I yeah, am now. totally. Uh, but, you know, even on like the crazy days when I work for like 12, like 14 mm-hmm. hours, I think my longest was 16 and a half hours, which Shit. was terrible. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Those are no fun. That sucks. Yeah. Uh, but even, like, you know, while it's, it may be exhausting doing 60-hour week or something, like, it's it's still the o- the only way... There's very few things that can motivate me to, to want to do something or work that hard. And it's like, when I get in the zone, when I start sharpening a knife, it's like its own little, like, the switch kicks yeah. on. So I just focus on the, the knife uh-huh. and, and what I'm doing. So that is definitely a motivator i don't feel like like my um uh, like my passion has been um, decreased or damaged in some way by sharpening professionally i know some people that um, that does happen, and like it is your job. It's more than just your job; sure. it's your life. Mm-hmm. Like you know, any small business owner, it's not just a business. It's like a part of who you are, whether you want it to be or not. That's the way yeah. it is. <laughs> you know, so uh, I guess I'm just one of the lucky ones. Sure. Like I wouldn't. This would not be fun if it's something that I no longer had joy. I cannot imagine being a knife sharpener not enjoying it because i think that the interest and, and appreciation and like the craft is what fuels you to be good at what you do or totally. to try and improve yeah. to begin with yeah you know like uh yeah yeah i mean anyone anyway, a chef isn't going to be mm-hmm. excited to go to work and cook and and look to you know for new recipes or to play with current recipes If they hate cooking Mm -hmm. they're just gonna you know no way they want to do something else totally
0: Uh, tell me a little bit about like what your day-to-day is like here and how you spend Uh your time and then a little bit about what happens in the shop I guess
1: okay Uh, well we're here from 10 to 5 yeah right now uh, Tuesday through Saturday Mm -hmm. so it's typically Um, come in and, you know, phone calls, emails, you got to start the day off doing that stuff and then just jump into the sharpening. Mm -hmm. Um, there's only one day a week in which I'm by myself. Other than that, I do have one other person to help me each day. Mm -hmm. So there's usually somebody doing something or we're both sharpening somehow just to keep things moving, keep productivity high. Mm -hmm. We generally have in between anywhere 150 to 200 knives for sharpening at any one time. Crazy. Yeah it's, yeah, it's crazy uh, if you could have told me that in May of 2011, like yeah. <laughs> it would have cr- caused a lot less stress in my yeah. life, but um, yeah, so I mean, you know, productivity is very important um, and I would say the tricky part about maintaining the productivity while in the shop, it's like we have everything laid out. I have a system, you know, it's like you got the date on the front of the box, you get it, you sharpen it, boom. You know, wrap it up, call the person, you know, try and do a few orders at a time. That way you're not just bouncing back and forth. Um, but, yeah, the, the mixture between shop operations and customer service and sharpening is, is a, a strange mm-hmm. triangle mm-hmm. that is very rarely even Right, right, right. Char- unbalanced. Yeah, totally.
0: So, what does that workflow look like to get into like specifics? So, you charge you charge by the inch for your <coughs> knives. Oh, correct. Um, and then you give industry a discount. That is correct, right? Uh, so, I I'm am a cook. I come in. I have my chef knife, my petty knife. I want you to sharpen it. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Like, uh, not just from my perspective on like how long I can expect it to take but mm-hmm. then also like what are the steps that you put it through when it comes into your shop
1: oh uh, yes um so as far as receiving or the sharpening process i
0: guess the sharpening process The sharpening process. Yeah. yeah
1: that all depends on the knife uh-huh. a lot of the the time involved and and the methods all depend on the knife so mm-hmm. if someone gives me a wustoff or victorian ox or a Henkel or uh F Dick or something like that, that's when we're gonna be using more of the motorized equipment, mm-hmm. which is variable speed, water cooled. That way we make sure we don't burn anything, you know, it's very important. So that um we'll go ahead and um, put on the put on the sander and that is typically a two to three step process. Okay. And then we go to the polishing work on the buffers and that's a total of four wheels. Mm-hmm. So two buffers, four wheels. So uh, About six to seven step process. Got it.
0: And that's, um, the shop that was like near my culinary school in like upstate New York also used the wheels. I've never personally used a wheel before. uh uh-huh. Is how to, um, it's a lot less of the motion of your hand. It's, it's, yeah. it's, ang- you're, you're controlling the angle mm-hmm. and how hard you're pressing it up against the wheel. Is that correct? That's correct. Those are the, mo- the two.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So for Japanese style, mm-hmm. um, you know, a, a traditional piece, then I will definitely only use Waterstones, and I only used Waterstones A to Z for a really long time, well that's great, it takes you 45 minutes to do one hard Gyoto, mm-hmm. and that is, it's not it's time not efficient at yeah, all, exactly. Right. exactly, whole time I'm doing the math on how many other knives I could be sharpening right now so now i have a horizontal japanese rotating waterstone. sure i'll start it off <coughs> pardon me no you're fine um i'll start it off on that and then move into the polishing uh stones typically finish about 5000 grit got it uh and then strop on chromium oxide
0: um the reason that you you grouped the the Hengels
1: and victorinox
0: into that first category is that because the steel is softer or it's a different makeup or
1: uh well yes yes both Uh of those uh and they're thicker knives Mm -hmm. you know they're they're typically softer blade steel they're typically pretty beefy so they can take uh more stress one of the reasons why they're designed like that and you know if i'm working with uh motorized equipment then they're because there is stress imparted onto the knife. So there's vibration and things like that. But if I do that with uh, a blue steel Giotto that's two millimeters at its widest with a full taper, like if I hit that thing on a bell grinder, man, like you're God, gonna hear yeah. some popping. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it's gotta be stones. It has to be stones. So, and that's why I. Uh, a really common misconception or not misconception, a common mistake I see sharpeners do. And this drives me absolutely nuts. Uh, And that's another reason why I like having my own shop is because I have like all these different tools to be able to do all these different things now, is they'll use the same method for every single knife and every knife is not the same. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is like a, absolutely that has always bothered me sure ever since I for, yeah so I mean they're good sharpeners and they're bad sharpeners and to the listeners like be it me or somebody else that you choose just do your research and make sure that they know what they're doing I don't care where where you are or who yeah. they are just make sure that they know what they're doing
0: to get super tactical and maybe provide some value what what are some questions that I as a chef could ask a sharpener to Mm -hmm. kind of like judge whether or not they're going to take care of this super expensive tool that I just bought and need some help with what are some questions that I if you were to maybe the question should be if you were to go to another sharpener in Montana or Oregon yeah and trust your knives with them what are some questions you would ask them to kind of just like make sure that they know what they're talking about or that they're going to treat your knife with the respect that it deserves
1: yeah that's that's great Question mm-hmm. to ask. Um, I would probably just ask about the um, ask about the methods that they use or the tools that they use, mm. um, or, or you can ask how many steps the process sure. is. Because if it's a one step process, <laughs> you, that's why it's while you wait and two dollars yep. a knife. Yeah. Just be also beware of of yeah you know, while you wait sharpening. There are some guys that are good, but I. Typically, you get what you wait for, you get what you pay for mm-hmm. type thing. So if it's like a dollar a knife, just don't do it. Yeah. Just, just you stay know. Stay away. Yeah, just stay away. Another thing you can also say is be uh, is just say that you have a knife that you know that would need to be sharpened a specific way. Sure. And see if they mention that. They will do that or they'll be like, oh, well, no, your, fire, your knife will be fine on the grinder and be like, well, no, it's not. you know, it's not. Or just, you know, don't, 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 you don't even have to call them out on it. Just be like, hey, I've got this Japanese knife that, you know, like my dad gave me. He got it when he was in Japan. Uh, you know, can you sharpen it? And, and then if they say, you, I'll go, yeah, it'll be fine on the stuff that I use. You know, for for everything, then you got a a real problem. That's a huge red flag. Those are probably the biggest things. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, Same thing with straight razors too. Got it. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: To take it more on the retail side, Mm -hmm. when you're bringing in new knives. Mm And if I get this podcast up in time, maybe there will still be a couple UX 10s left. (laughs) You've got those 20% off right now. As of today. When you're you're trying to bring in new knives and when you're selecting which ones to bring in the retail side, what are you looking for? Because we were talking the other day when I came in um, about the... You have to have a certain line Uh or a couple of sets that appeal to the enthusiastic home cook. Mm -hmm. But then you also have to have a couple that appeal to... People like me who are like the huge knife nerds who yeah. will drop three four hundred dollars on a knife but you can't be too far on one end or the, or the other right yeah. because if you only have mercer knives in here i'm gonna come in and probably not shop with you yeah like, <laughs> i want something that performs a little bit more but if you're, you're like that. if everything you have is cost an arm and a leg you're gonna alienate part of that market so how do you balance mm-hmm. that and what do you look for in knives you in
1: well, I tried to look at a lot of different things. One of the first things, to be honest, I don't know if this is selfish or not. I'd be like, would I buy this? Interesting. Be like, is, yeah, that yeah. Cool? Uh-huh. is that cool? Is that cool or is that not cool? I mean, that's the
0: ultimate. Lit- that's uh, that's why I tell you that I want to have a shop someday, whether yeah. it's in a physical shop or an online shop, because. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was I? Ta- I was talking with the guy who owns Eating Tools, which is a really fancy shop in New York, and I asked him a very similar question: What what makes you want to bring a tool in? And he's like, mm-hmm. "It has like this uh, je ne sais quoi about it. Yeah, you know, like you can't, yeah. I can't tell you exactly what it is, uh-huh. uh, but that's a good. I mean, that's part of the curation process, right? It's like. Yeah. An art curator can't tell you exactly why
1: mm-hmm.
0: they have the pieces that they have, mm-hmm. but that's what the why they have their job yeah. is to curate the pieces. Yeah. What, um, is there any specifics that you look for? Or like whether it's steel or handle or
1: um I would say um, I like I I mostly 90% is either Japanese or Japanese and in influence. So mm-hmm. that tends to be where I keep my eyes peeled. Yep. Um, you know, being a sharpener, I kind of have an inside scoop because I get to see what people are buying or what they're using. Sure. So I kind of know where the market mm-hmm. trends are just from being here. Yep. yep. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I associate myself. I've always marketed Seattle edge as being quality focused. So uh, that's, one, one of the main things that I look for is something that's really well made. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I would say that's the main thing is, is it a good piece? And because anything that I sell, ultimately comes back to reflect on the store and like, like you mentioned Mercer's, yes, they have their place. So mm-hmm. that's why I have a few in the, in the store. Sure. But they're not good for everything, mm-hmm. so it's important to have other pieces as well. So, like, you know, I don't want to sell junk because I don't want to be associated with junk. Totally. You know, you, no one does. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. why would you want to carry it yeah, in yeah, the yeah. store? No Absolutely. way, man. No. Absolutely. No. So, yeah, I would say design materials and uh, a little, little bit of voodoo kind of sprinkled mm-hmm. on top. Mm-hmm. Like, if I see something that just grabs my eye then I need to immediately learn more about that and then it may be something, yeah.
0: Do you know what's going to be replacing the UX10 right off the bat or you're still...
1: Um, Yeah, well, I've I've been happy to have the UX10 and I'm probably going to have to hold on to one for myself. As you should. should. (laughs) Because I really like their 150 millimeter petty. As you should. Uh, It's probably going to be Kikuichi. Uh Um, Uh-huh. Smart line to carry. Yeah, I've always liked them a lot. Um, So there's a few different lines. There's three different ones that I'm looking into right now. Um, I can't make any official Mm -hmm. announcements yet, but I've always liked that brand. Um, Ever since some of the first... You know what's funny about Kikuichi? The the best test that I have seen their knives go through, and this actually sold me on their knives uh, as far as performance goes, was not giving it to, like, a Michelin-starred chef, it was giving, I hope you're not listening, uh, gi- giving it to my stepmom, uh, one of their Gold Star series, and she has done terrible things <laughs> to that knife. Terrible things. And, like, it's okay. <laughs> I mean, I sharpen it once a year and just... Fine, keep cutting on the granite, sweetheart. It's wow. your call, whatever you want to do. Oh, my God. So, A, I've never bought her a knife again, ever. Yep. But if a knife can deal with my stuff <laughs> it can deal with anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. that really, uh, that, that's half the reason why I like Kikuritsu. Okay.
0: To ask, um, there is a company that is very, very popular on Amazon mm-hmm. called Strong. Are you familiar with their stuff? Yeah. So... And you can correct me if I'm totally wrong on here, but it's taking, it's a Chinese company that's taking a lot of Japanese marketing and aesthetic and influence, making it in a mass production kind of style, uh, branding it in a way that is very, very attractive, Mm -hmm. and then doing a very, very classic uh, maneuver of, MSRP is two ninety nine, but lo and behold, it's always one hundred and sixty dollars on Amazon. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so they reached out to me and wanted to send me a couple knives. They sent me a ton. They sent me five or six knives, and I've been wow. testing them on and off. Um, I sharpened one for the first time yesterday, and I was surprised. I mm-hmm. the it first time first the second time I cut with it, it chipped. It got some microchips on the edge. I was really disappointed. Wow! But I sharpened it and it got an edge right back on it, which I was interested. Do you have any experience with those knives? Or do you have any thoughts on on these Chinese companies coming in and and mass producing them in a way? Like like, on the blade, you can literally see where the Damascus Uh stops. And they like fused it to this other piece of steel that's actually the part of the handle. You know what I mean? So it's like the sense of craftsmanship is so far gone. It is very mass produced, but There's a lot of people on YouTube that are big fans of them. There's a lot of people on Amazon who buy them and have Mm -hmm. great experience with them. What are your thoughts?
1: Uh, Well, you know, there's a lot of stuff coming out of China and Taiwan Mm -hmm. specifically that's actually, Taiwan has a bad rep. Taiwan, The stuff that Taiwan was producing in the 80s and 90s, does not speak for the stuff that's coming out of Taiwan now. There are some very good knives um, coming out of of, um, those areas Hmm. now. So you definitely have to be careful when purchasing knives from those areas. Um so some are definitely good and some are definitely bad um mm-hmm. i've seen the Dallas strongs i 've sharpened more than a few of them mm-hmm. um they they don't seem like bad knives sure you know um i've 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 worked on better i've worked on worse yeah but yep. um i i uh I think that you know i i mean especially if they 're making people happy, that kind of speaks for itself totally you know totally. um so i don't own one and i don't feel the need for one. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I mean, they must be doing something, right? right? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's
0: <laughs> my... It was one of the most polarizing, like, unboxings that I did when I unboxed the Dell mm-hmm. Strongs because some people were like, I've heard a ton of information on it. I need you to do a review on it because I want to know if I should buy it or not. And then yeah. other people are like, this is Chinese crap. Like, you should not touch it. Mm-hmm. But again, from my perspective, if it performs well... Mm -hmm. There's zero reason for you to not buy it. The reason that you're not happy with it or don't like it is yeah. because you don't like the story that goes along like yeah. the lack of story more so it's like it wasn't made in Seki, Japan by some old swordsmith Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean it was probably made in a factory um, yeah, yeah, so it doesn't have that romantic story to go along with it exactly. So and and that's where I feel like people may or may not be disappointed because I'm not sure what the Rockwell hardness on it I think it's like 58, 59 like it's not yeah, I would say that it's not crazy yeah it's not yeah. crazy soft it's also not like you said it's not crazy hard I think it's just like this interesting middle ground and mm-hmm. I think people are just kind of pissed off because they have a Shogun series and a uh, gladiator like they're, they're the marketing is just so overinflated but you have to like I feel like you have to do that to like cut through the noise especially yeah. with, with knives but I was just curious to get your thoughts as someone mm-hmm. who like I, I mean I'm and, and I'm also glad that you have had your hands on them and you've sharpened them so mm-hmm. that you have a perspective um, with that. Uh what's the best meal you've had in recent memory if you have if you have had one Uh
1: yeah I've had some good meals recently um I will say I be I, I will say home cooked meals and then restaurant meals oh, yeah. um as far as really good um out to eat meals. Uh, the lady and I, her for her birthday, we went to Tarzani Jane right totally. next to us. And I will say that was probably one of the best meals I've had in a long, like years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've I, When I worked in hotels, I could almost eat just about anywhere in Seattle for free. So I've eaten at a lot of restaurants. Mm-hmm. That was one of the best meals that I've had. Very cool. Uh, everything was very, very creative um you know it was far from cheap but and they even had, they had the a separate drink pairing and i said you know what yeah it's extra money but let's do it. let's yeah. just do it uh-huh. and that was totally worth it the, the the drinks were paired perfectly with the meals uh-huh. half of them were made there I, it was very cool it was amazing and like and the head chef open the door on the way to the restroom for me. Amazing. I've never had the chef de cuisine be like, hey, bathroom's over here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was amazing. Interesting. Worked around French and Italian chefs <laughs> that are like, you know, giving me the fingers. I'm like going <laughs> I'm like, dude, I'm paying you three hundred dollars for a dinner. Like right. why can't you be nice at least? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that was really, really good. Um, I definitely enjoyed that. Uh, as far as things that we've been playing with at home, we've been playing with, uh, because time has been tight, uh, we've been playing with roasts a lot more. Mm-hmm. And like, oh man, it's uh, um, pork roast, and we'll go ahead and sear it, of course, after coating it up with uh, you know some spices sure. and a little bit of flour, just get the nice shell on there. Mm-hmm. And when I first read the recipe, I thought, man, that is nasty. like. Is, is gross. Just the spices that they had?
0: There, oh no, just not the idea of flour on the outside. Oh no, that's i I'm oh, fine wow. with
1: that. I'm fine with that. But they're in the recipe, so you know, put it up to like two seventy-five or, or right. whatever and, and cook it for four or five hours. Yep, yep, yep. And that was to toss the uh, um toss a whole bunch of milk on top of that pork roast yeah. and just let it hang out uh-huh. in there for four hours. And I thought that's gross. Uh-huh. And then we tried it. <clears throat> And it was awesome, insanely good. And we have made that probably five or six times. <laughs> <laughs> it's like every time it's like milk roast night. What's up? So that's awesome. That's really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would say those are the two meals that uh, that that are pretty pretty kick ass. Totally to memory.
0: awesome. To keep it on the cooking at home uh, thing, which I know you said you don't do a ton of, mm-hmm. but you do a little bit. It's a Saturday morning on your kind of first day off after your work week, mm-hmm. and you kind of like walk into the kitchen and you're going to make eggs for yourself. How do you make your eggs?
1: Uh, if I'm making them for myself, mm-hmm. uh, that kind of depends on my mood. What I've, um, we've got a, a little cast iron collection. We've, I've almost switched entirely to cast iron. I did a little while ago. Well done. And I mean, the heat distribution. Mm-hmm. And we have this one, It's teeny. I mean, it's like a few inches, maybe three, four inches. Made for
0: eggs almost, right?
1: It's the perfect egg skillet. Interesting. It's perfect. I mean, you can just, you can (laughs) literally, because it's a perfect size where you put it on the burner and the whole thing heats up evenly, which is Uh, the beauty of cast iron. And you can, so like what I'll usually, I'll usually get bread. And put that in the oven with some cheddar cheese on there, let it kind of heat up a little bit, and then uh, cook up the egg in the magical little cast iron skillet, and then pop that on there and have an egg sandwich with some, uh, with some green onions and salt and pepper, maybe a little bit of cayenne pepper, I love spicy food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, it's, the, it's a cast iron, man. Right. So that's generally how I make eggs for myself.
0: Does that does does that change if you're making it for anyone else in your family?
1: Uh, If I'm making it for somebody else, um, yeah, she doesn't like to have um, the bread with the eggs yep. as much, but I've totally converted her over to that cast iron. She generally Perfect. cooks things a little softer than yep. I do yep. and almost kind of like... I generally don't scramble that much unless we're making French toast or mm-hmm, something. Mm-hmm. Um, but she does more of a light scramble. Uh, and then we'll put that on stuff. So. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: maybe you, you already answered that. I was going to ask an ingredient that you're obsessed with right now, but it's milk and pork. <laughs> 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 already, <laughs> already answered. <laughs> can, can
1: hit that one out oh, of on the park. Awesome.
0: Is, is there a technique that you're still intimidated by in the kitchen? Or maybe, let's flip it. Is there an int- a technique in the shop here that you're still like intimidated by or n- a, a, a type of blade that you're still like, uh,
1: Well, some of the ones that are, I don't know about intimidating, that are really concerning. Um, I get excited when i see like really nice traditional japanese cutlery but Mm -hmm. it's also concerning because the amount of problems that i see with those types of cutlery um for a few different reasons i'll see major problems with edge damage and chipping Uh, a that may be because of the user does not know how to properly use a knife and a lot of people don't you know you can't blame ignorance uh and everyone's got to start somewhere so that's um that's Frustrating Um, The other thing is that our when we started this we were talking about blade geometry a lot of knives now uh, They may be too hard or too thin Mm -hmm. Uh, now Japanese knives. They are prone to chipping uh, Be for those reasons so typically after the first or second sharpening They actually perform a little bit better because they're less likely to ship because you're receding of the blade Mm -hmm. Um, but I will say that uh most of like the yanagis and debas that i'll get in have um have edge damage that needs to be addressed and it's tougher on a single bevel piece uh asymmetry uh can create more problems because you may have perfect technique on one side but if the blade is designed differently on the other You've got to do a lot of problem solving while you're sharpening. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, you've got to be careful because the the blades themselves can warp uh, over time, and it's actually natural. They're really, really nice knives uh, that you'll see. Uh, some makers in Japan they'll make them and they'll let them hang out for a year because they're inevitably going to bend. Straighten them, and then bam, there you go. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, you've got to um you got to be careful with some of that stuff uh so i would say those are the main things mm-hmm. where it's it's cool and also kind of like oh man that's a bummer um and the as far as things that that intimidate or right i know will be um, a problem. Uh, Thierry Sard is a very old French company. They make wonderful pieces. I lo- I'm going to be carrying some of their knives very, very soon. Um, but I think that one of the straight razor sharpeners that works there is drunk. Uh, like really? <laughs> So many are sharpened. Like they're wonderful razors. They're very nice razors. I've actually thought about carrying them. But some of the factory edges that I've seen on those things, like they take like an extra 25 minutes per blade. It's just to, really just, hard. You know, it's just like. Well, hard and they're sharpened unevenly on different sides, which can be very frustrating. Mm-hmm. Wonderful razors. Um, but I found that some of the initial sharpening can be okay. very um, tricky. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of a bummer.
0: You somehow get a call right after this interview that you just want an all-expenses-paid trip to eat at your dream restaurant, and when you get there, there's someone that you've always wanted to talk to waiting there to have dinner with you. What restaurant is it, and who is that person? Oh man,
1: that's a tough one. That is a tough one. Um, wouldn't mind going back to Tarzani E.J. Yeah. Wouldn't mind, wouldn't mind doing that. Um, wouldn't mind going back to June Baby either. Yeah. I really like June Baby. That restaurant's great. Yeah, their pimento cheese tastes like the pimento cheese. Most of my family's from the South. Yeah. Tastes like the pimento cheese that I used to make with my aunt. Okay. I actually got like a little tear to my eye. He, that's when, what he's going for. That's when when I perfect. Had, it was amazing. Like, uh, yeah, that was pretty ridiculous. Yeah. So.
0: But a person can be living or dead. I guess maybe that's a good A thing I should have included (laughs) if you have anyone that you're like you know you've always wanted to go out to dinner with anybody that is either like a huge inspiration or a um, someone that you think is you grew up idolizing
1: I think growing being able to go out to dinner with uh, Howard Houdini would be, like, the coolest thing in the world.
0: I'm, like, 94% uh, and... sure he's from the same town in Wisconsin that I grew up in. No way. We have, we have a Harry Houdini Museum.
1: Oh, no way. Like, um,
0: I don't know if it's still there or not. I, I need to look it up, and I will fact check it, and I'll get back to you on it. Oh, but awesome. a, there is a museum very close to my house that is a Houdini really? Museum.
1: I think that would be one of the most interesting dinners Uh yeah yeah. 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 What is it
0: about him? (laughs) Is it just like you think he's just a total weirdo or just like his career or what
1: I think that he was much more complex than the average person actually gave him uh credit for. Mm -hmm. I think he had a lot of foresight and applied a lot of methodology and study to Mm -hmm. what he did. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't just an entertainer, he was a strategizer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think his strategy and application uh is what made him so successful mm-hmm. so i think he was a combination of a someone who was gifted when it comes to magic uh and also a genius marketer yep like yep. genius for his day and
0: age like
1: oh crazy dude yeah amazing i think that would be that would be amazing totally yeah
0: what and maybe you've gotten there already what would be a win for you for seattle edge
1: A win for me for Seattle Edge, uh, to be able to keep expanding and offering uh, more services and products to my customers.
0: Here in the Pacific Northwest, are you thinking of going to other cities? Uh, Uh,
1: I have very seriously considered going to other cities actually. mm -hmm. Uh, Or perhaps, uh, you know, we'll see what the future holds, but there may be a... I don't know if it could be seattle edge in a different um <laughs> yep. state I mean, it could be but yeah it could be yeah, yeah. yeah or some sort of seattle edge uh-huh. affiliates or something Fair. uh but yeah i've definitely thought about some other cities mm-hmm. um so uh seattle i love seattle mm-hmm. i love seattle i've lived here ever since i was a kid mm-hmm. um there are many things that are are great about this city and i want to be able to stay here and keep you know supporting this city mm. um but i i, I would uh, definitely consider going to another place mm. or expanding so i would say being able yeah moving the shop that's another thing sure. that i uh, just growing would, yeah yeah larger yeah essentially mm-hmm.
0: is there any last bit of advice that you have for the culinary school student line cook sous chef listening Mm -hmm. that they should know whether it's about knives whether it's about opening their own place if you have any closing thoughts that they should be aware of I mean maybe you can do both you can answer one thing about knives and one thing about doing your own thing because you have experience with both
1: well I don't don't know if I have starting your own place <laughs> advice for line cooks. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they may want to talk to a, a, restaurant, <laughs> a restaurant owner or a, or, or a chef de cuisine uh-huh. or something. Uh-huh. Um, if it's about cutlery, I would say um, do some research, buy once, cry once, you know, um, get quality tools and learn how to take care of them. Mm-hmm um that that's the main the main thing is no uh try to get a an understanding of what you like and why you like it and then you're going to be able to spend your money in the right arenas uh there's the culinary industry is huge now we have access to more cutlery now than i think ever ever absolutely it's bananas mm-hmm. i mean so it can all it's it's overwhelming it's mm-hmm. sort of uh, it's like a task to be able to to get your cutlery. The now. amount
0: of like people on Instagram that sell knives, where in the in the description of their their bio, you know, it says it's like my books are closed, or yep. it's like no longer taking any custom orders. I'm like, how is that possible? There's hundreds of these pages, mm-hmm. and they're they're churning out knives, like they're like posting daily on knives that they're making.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. And they
0: can't keep up with the orders. I don't know where the demand is coming from. It's crazy.
1: Right. Yeah, but it's. It's pretty wild, you know, and that's another thing. If they're going to work with a custom maker, it's very important, uh, and this is for anybody to understand that those makers are so busy and Mm -hmm. that once again, you get what you pay for, you get what you wait for, you know? I mean, uh, uh, and it's very hard. This is just a general side note. Like being a knife maker is no Mm cakewalk. Uh, I mean, those guys work so hard. Totally. And even if they're charging $1,200 for a chef knife, the profit margin on those can actually not be astronomical because they have to buy the materials and then they have to also invest who knows how much time. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, power hammers aren't cheap. I don't you know. Like, think,
0: I can't even tell you what the prices <clears throat> of all those pieces of equipment are. <laughs> but, like, it's true.
1: Yeah, it's true. You know, that's it. So it is. It is a definitely a lot. So I think there's more that goes into a custom knife than mm-hmm. than people know. There's more that goes into a custom knife than I know because I'm not a custom knife maker. yep,
0: Yeah. You know? yep. So
1: yeah, definitely be be patient. Save your pennies. You get mm-hmm. the good stuff.
0: Mm-hmm. And then on the starting your own thing, I mean, you've done it. You've d- it's here. You know, like we're standing <laughs> inside of it. You know, like you have you have a brick and mortar, and you've been here for years. <clears throat> like. Any big macro takeaways from from this whole process for you?
1: Uh, Yeah, I would say um, make sure it's something that you really, really want to do and make sure that you're able to be committed to it. Mm. Because if you can't be committed to it, it will not be successful. Right. So like prepare, it's not like, it's not, when I worked in hotels, I could I could leave my job and like turn the hotel switch right, off. Right. Because I was no longer in the hotel sure. and the hotel was somewhere else. Not my problem. Right? Yeah, Not exactly. And unless there's you know a water main breaks and they need to call me in, which sure. has happened. Sure. Uh, sure. And but when it's your place or it's your business, it becomes it's like it's like walking with you at all times. Totally. It will keep you up at night, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So it's like make sure it's something that you want to integrate into, like, you know, who you are yeah, practically. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because to be successful, you're gonna have to do that. Mm-hmm. So be prepared to make the sacrifice, um, but look at the long term. Sure.
0: Where do you want people to come find you online?
1: Please check out my website at knife sharpeningseattle.com. Also mm-hmm. on Instagram, totally. Seattle Edge Sharpening. Mm-hmm. And on Facebook, Seattle Edge Sharpening, once again. Perfect. Um, a personal pro they, they won't let you do the business ones on profiles, so that's my name, that's Albert right. Edmonds but um yeah yeah, yeah with yeah. albert Edmonds or seattle at sharpening is, on is there a little history.
0: contact form on your website or if people want to ask you specific questions is it better to send you an instagram dm or
1: whatever whatever okay. works for you guys you know um yeah e- emails or dms is fine totally you know whatever whatever works um because
0: mm-hmm. you're doing a bunch, of, you're, you're going more live video, you're doing giveaways, you're doing all sorts of stuff. So it's definitely- Yeah, we're
1: going to be doing, uh, we're going to be doing uh, auctions soon, wow. actually. I'm working on a restoration piece in for... I didn't show you that
0: Uh, The first one that you gave away, you showed me. Okay. Yeah. Okay. No, I didn't show it away. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, um, So, so, yes. we're going to start doing auctions. Uh, Auctions are going to be for vintage pieces, Mm -hmm. though, um, because a lot of the, you know. um, So, yeah. Yeah. I've got uh, some really sweet uh, vintage chef knives, and we'll probably Mm -hmm. auction razors as well. Maybe once a month or so. We'll we'll see. Cool. Uh, I got to finish the thing first (laughs) before I can put it up. (laughs) We're almost done. I hear you. you. So, yeah. Busy man. Yeah. And um, yes. And and just as a uh, a, a closing note, because it sounds like we're about to end the open house, May 27th. uh, Mm -hmm. Sunday, May 27th starts at 12. Um, I'm still, like, I just got confirmation, but um, every. 30 minutes, we have an event of some kind. There's either a demonstration or there's a giveaway. First demonstration is going to be me doing a knife sharpening demo. Um, my The next demonstration is going to be, oh, Kyle, who you met yep, earlier. Yep, yep. He, he works at Sushi Kishiba, mm-hmm. uh and so he, he's a sushi chef, and he's going to be doing a demonstration with a deba breaking down a fish. Fantastic. Uh, so we're going to go to Wajimai and buy a fish. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, cool. <laughs> so he's going to break it down, uh, and then David Tuthill, a blacksmith friend of mine, is going to hammer out a blade uh, right in the parking lot. Wow. So, yeah, he's building a mobile forge practically just for this uh cool. yeah like old school yeah yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: i'm so mad i can't come i know man yeah, i yeah. wish
1: you were able to come maybe if it's
0: at noon i'll try to uh, i'll see if i can try to make it yeah we'll see i want to try okay because cool. it sounds super fun
1: oh yeah i know it's there's uh new displays being designed uh there's gonna be a butcher block uh for people to try out cutlery on cool. i'm getting made by a guy in ballard
0: and it's gonna be right out here
1: right up front okay yeah, yeah, right, right up front. Amazing. Yeah, this will be the third year uh, that we've done it, yeah, and, yeah. like, it's just... It's a party. Yeah, basically, yeah. yeah. And it's, like, you know, I mean, opening in, in May, it's like, it's, like, a chance. A, it's a great excuse to have a party, but, like, I have the most amazing customers in the world. Like, they're so cool and generous and kind so it's kind of like giving back as well it's like you know let's have some fun Mm. come in check it out have some free stuff let's let's just have a blast love it so yeah it's good stuff that's where I'll
0: send them. Hey, present day Justin here. If you enjoyed this one, I'd encourage you to go give Albert some love on his Instagram. He has a wealth of knowledge on all things cutlery. So if you've got any questions for him, I know he's always happy to share. If you'd like to meet him or myself coming up on June 3rd, that is a Sunday in Seattle. It starts at noon at his shop. I've linked his website down below in the description if you want a little bit more information about like where it is or, or any more information on Seattle Edge. So I hope to see you there. For making it this far in the podcast, I'm stoked to offer you a discount code for 10% off a one hour long coaching session use end of the show on justincanacom slash coaching if you're interested in improving your performance at work building your personal brand as a chef hosting your own events networking with other industry people and more Thanks for listening to the Emulsion Podcast. I appreciate your ears more than you know. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help sponsor the show, head on over to patreon.com slash justinkana. Other ways you can help out right now include giving this show a review on iTunes so more people can find it. I also love seeing you folks liking and commenting on the video if you listen that way or even just share this episode with a friend. Now is normally why I would tell you that my name is Justin Kana and I hope you have a good one, but you've probably got another podcast episode to listen to, so I'm just going to get out of the out of the way here excuse, excuse me